L'audit de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détail sur Audi.fr. And welcome to this episode of Tez Podagogy. My name is Helen Amas. I'm Deputy Commissioning Editor here at Tez. And today I'm joined by Karen Sands O'Connor, who's a Professor of English at the State University of New York, Buffalo State College. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. So um, we're going to be talking today about um, children's literature uh, and specifically some of the um, problems of, divi- of diversity um, within student- uh, children's literature. Um, how pronounced is the lack of diversity in children's literature, would you say? Well, I mean, it's very pronounced. One of the things that uh, we have been working on with the Center for Literacy and Primary Education is trying to find out exactly how pronounced it's been. And in the Reflecting Reality survey from 2017, we discovered that of all the children's books published last year, which were about 9,000, only 4% of those books featured a Black, Asian, minority, ethnic character. And that's one of those acronyms, B-A-M-E, that people use that some people feel uncomfortable with, but it's it's also common uh, parlance, so I'm going to use it for the sake of uh, consistency. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And probably, you know, that that statistic is bad enough in itself, Mm -hmm. but the statistic that bothers me more is the idea that there are 32% of British children, school-age children, who come from a minority ethnic background, Mm. and yet there's only 1% of children's books being published that have a minority ethnic main character. Uh, Mm. So they're not seeing themselves reflected in children's books, and also their peers uh, of other racial groups are not seeing the world as it is in children's Mm -hmm. books. So it's really quite a significant problem then? Yes, definitely significant. And uh, I mean, why why does this problem exist in the first place? Is there um, uh, an issue with kind of persisting with the classics of children's literature? And do some of these texts compound the lack of diversity by promoting uh, once held stereotypes? Certainly they compound it um, in the sense that uh, a lot of the texts that uh, British canonical uh, children's literature uh, considers come from a time period when Britain had a global empire and they were on top of that empire. There was a definite power hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so that hierarchy is reflected in children's books, you know, sometimes better than others. You take a book like Peter Pan, for example, Mm -hmm. um, which is on the one hand, you know, you can see it as a delightful adventure. But Mm -hmm. if you are uh, somebody who is Native American, and you Mm -hmm. see that you're labeled as part of a Picaninny tribe, which is Mm -hmm. actually a slur on um, 
African-Americans as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. You have really problematic literature, and what do you do with that? There was a movement in the 1960s to kind of revise some of those things, things like um, Dr. Doolittle taking out some of the more egregious kinds of racism, but, the, you know, that has its own inherent problems as well. So, mm-hmm. Is this... um. Is this a problem um, sort of specifically, we talked a little bit about the the UK um, empire and, and that, that sort of age. Is it a problem particularly in the UK or is it just in the Western world in general, would you say? I, I don't think it's the UK's problem alone. It is a problem that uh, many countries who have dealt with empires or um, control of large tracts of land like the United mm. States um, have in common, uh, where the literature was for a long time aimed at, written for, written by white people. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, they're going to write stories that, um, you know, make them the heroes. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to looking at those stories now, they require, you know, a critical eye. And it's one of my students last Uh, term asked me, should we throw all those classics out then? Mm. And, you know, if you're not going to look at them critically, then yes, you should throw them all out. Mm. But if, if you can teach people to read them critically and think about them with modern literature, you know, side by side, Mm. then you're going to be able to um, take the good with the bad. But mm. it really requires careful, thoughtful time uh, put into uh, discussion of literature. So, and I mean, where that perhaps might not be happening, um, what might be the impact, or, or what do we know about what might be the impact um, of, of of being exposed to this kind of literature? Uh, on children, on the education system, and and on society as a whole? Well, what it usually means is that um, in terms of children, they, you know, there's an emphasis in the British schools and the national curriculum on reading for pleasure. That's that's right in the national curriculum, uh, you know, what they want to do. But if you don't see yourself reflected in books, you're never going to find... um, that same kind of pleasure in reading that other kids who see themselves all the time find. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like you would would never enjoy reading, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't feel as at home in the area of books as somebody who sees themselves reflected, sees themselves as heroes, sees themselves as decision makers in literature. Mm-hmm. And um, so on an individual level, I know that, you know, when I first met my husband, who is, um, he's the son of Windrush generation parents, mm-hmm. he said he didn't read growing up because he didn't see himself in books. And mm-hmm. why should he read if he's not there? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that on an individual level, that's what can happen. But on a wider level, in terms of um, society and even the society of the classroom, mm-hmm. if certain people in books are seen more often and more often as 
heroes and decision makers, they are going to get the message, the children who look like those heroes and decision makers, that they are the ones who can make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And that message being repeated over and over and over again has a long-term impact that I don't think can be ignored. You know, it, it affects what kinds of jobs people go into. As you know, um, in higher education, there are fewer black females um, in positions of authority and professorships. I mean, there's practically none in the UK. Um, And so, you know, I think that that's one of the consequences of not seeing yourself in books. It it starts out small. You just Mm -hmm. feel like you don't belong in books, but then you begin to feel like you don't belong in society. And also, people who do get the message over and over again feel like they don't have to consider the voices of those people that were not the decision makers and the powerful people in uh, books because that's the message that they've been getting all their lives. Absolutely. So it's not just something that affects, you know, uh, sort of, um, you know, black and minority ethnic children of color right children right. yeah it's it's also um something that that's having a wider impact um and i, I suppose that um oh, you mentioned um black women their gender obviously plays a role in this as well and, and and how gender is represented um through some of these texts too yes absolutely and you know even um in terms of the, I mean, there's sort of well, obviously, there's two different effects. You know, for black women, a lot of times the message that they're getting is not black girls, I guess. Um, the message that they're getting is not only, you know, that they are, uh, they have to work harder because they're black, but they mm-hmm. also have to uh, overcome, you know, any prejudice in certain fields uh, from being female. Mm-hmm. But I also think that in terms of boys, um, if you don't see yourself in literature except as a sidekick, except yeah. as a um, or as the troublemaker in mm-hmm. so, some cases, you know, then that suggests to you that that's where you belong. And you, it can affect uh, aspirations. It can affect uh, how you behave on a daily basis. And, you know, I mean, it's not the only factor, certainly. It's, it's children's literature is just one thing that um, children are exposed to throughout their lives, but it is a factor in, you know, providing role models and um, thinking about how you are supposed to act in any given society. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it has to be considered. Mm-hmm. So what um, what then can teachers do to? Um, help to tackle these issues um, whether that's uh, thinking about the books that they're choosing to use with their um, their classes um, or when it comes to, um, to to discussing those sort of more classic te- texts in class we mentioned that you know they don't necessarily need to be thrown out as long as we're approaching them in the right way um, you know what are the kind of the right ways to approach those texts well for example, um, I'll answer that question first since it's on my mind. Um, uh, one of the things that I think um, British schools do well um, as compared to American schools is that they 
have a focus on poetry um, that U.S. schools do not have. Um, and with poetry, there is quite a lot you can do there because British poetry especially has a tradition of talking back to earlier poets. So, you know, to take a totally classic example, you have Lewis Carroll's uh, poems in Alice in Wonderland talking back to poets like Isaac Watts uh, from previous centuries. But there are also examples of this that would allow you to bring in a wider diversity. Um, a book like Grace Nichols' Paint Me a Poem, for example, uh, has a number of different poems included in it where she is talking back either to earlier poems or to British paintings. So you have um, the classic paired with something more modern that you know allows students not only to see more diversity but to think about a poem in a new way and to think about what that poem means. I think that it builds uh, comprehension and it builds uh, understanding not only of poetry and or, or paintings uh, in the case of those uh, but also it helps build comprehension of point of view and of you know other other ideas other uh, versions of what is the truth of poetry so I think um, that's that's really interesting an idea of, of of um bringing in the um the poetry links because i think that that's something that perhaps is um done more with older students further down the line but but mm. perhaps making those um linking texts really explicitly in that way isn't necessarily something that's always done um i think with 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 younger students yeah, yes, but I, I do think that it could be done, even if you look at the, the poems in Paint Me a Poem, which actually were, you know, done in with some primary school students. Mm. But even if you say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, I need something more immediate, you can mm. take the idea, for example, of nonsense poetry, which, you know, most even small children can understand, or nursery rhymes. Mm. Um, there's a collection called Rhyme Around the World, which has different versions of things like Little Miss Muffet um, on the on the same page, so mm -hmm. that kids could hear the the sound and compare the the different poems, and also see um, illustrations from people of that culture and so you know that's that's another way that you can do that where it's you know it's not something that would take a teacher because I know teachers are pressed and they're also pressed in terms of what time they have within the classroom as well as without the, the classroom so you know I understand that um, and I don't want to burden teachers more than uh, they already are being burdened. But, you know, I think a thing like um, finding nursery rhymes from around the world, even if you didn't have this collection um, of poems, you could find those quite easily and you could introduce them to, to children and have them think about, you know, how did these uh, nursery rhymes change? And perhaps, you know, we got some nursery rhymes from different parts of the world and, mm. you know, where where are those parts of the world? So you, you do open up 
um, the conversation a little bit more. It's not, it is about the, the poem itself, but it's also about a wider world as well. Mm. I suppose also what you, you mentioned there about um, poems that talk back to other texts. I mean, thinking about that idea of talking back and getting students to perhaps explore that a little bit, you know, thinking about um, how would you talk back to this sort of classic text that we're looking at and some of the ideas within it that might be um, considered problematic today. Well, exactly. I mean, that is something that, um, you know, teachers have done before. Uh, Kenneth Cott, um, I think his name is pronounced Koch, but it could be Cook uh, because those are pronounced both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he he did uh, that kind of uh, work with children quite early on in his career, um, where he went into classrooms, read them a you know classic poem, and had them rewrite or revision that poem through their own experience. And mm-hmm. he was amazed by the results he got because they clearly understood what the poet was originally trying to say Mm. and they were able to bring their own experience into it as well and by making children writers as well as readers Mm -hmm. you are saying you belong in this world of words Mm -hmm. and I think that's you know writing is just as important as reading in that process. And thinking um, just about the idea of uh, book selection in the first place I mean do you think that, um, I guess, A, a teachers know uh, enough about where to uh, choose books or, or how to find books that, um, y- you know, sort of promote more um, diverse reading? Um, and do you, do you think that this should be something that is being fed into the curriculum more than it is? In terms of where to find books and whether teachers know you know how to find those books, um, I don't think that it's a matter of not knowing how to find. I, I do think in some cases it's a matter of, of the time that it takes to look for books because unfortunately, uh, a lot of times books by BAME authors um, do not stay on bookstore bookshelves or do not get there in the first place. Many times if there, if I know a novel is coming out um, and I go down to the large chain bookstore in London, um, you know, I, I might not find that novel there. I might have to special order it. And, you know, again, that takes time. It takes effort. And, that should be much easier for teachers. I know that places like Letterbox Library, for example, um, is a great resource for um, finding books that address many different kinds of diversity, not just racial diversity, but um, gender diversity, uh, sexual diversity, et cetera. So that is absolutely a resource that I wish all teachers would know about. Um, my colleague, uh, at, who is currently at UCL, uh, Darren Shetty, and I do a column um, in Books for Keeps, which is an online journal, so accessible to everybody, um, where we talk about um, 
racial diversity and children's books. And we not only talk about classics, uh, but also about current books. Uh, we're having a, um, our column next month is on protest, and we're going to do one on series books for uh, children that feature racial, racial diversity. So we, we do try to address those areas where kids are reading and also where, you know, teachers might uh, be able to expand their classroom um, offerings. Mm. Uh, I know that, you know, as you said, the national curriculum doesn't always um, feature uh, children's mm. books and diversity as something that is important. And do I think that they should? Yes, of course I think that they should. Mm. Um, you know, but um, I think that probably for now, uh, most teachers are going to have to uh, figure out ways to work within the curriculum that there is. Um, another way to do that, for example, is in terms of history um, and the history and citizenship curriculum because um, there's a lot of really good nonfiction uh, out there that introduces the idea of a wider world within those citizenship context. So something like um, a book on Mary Seacole or a book on the Empire Windrush uh, talks about ideas of citizenship and talks about ideas of, you know, what British history includes. Mm -hmm. And if the teachers can present these things, not as this is Black British history, but this is British history, I think we'd go a long way to mm. opening up that world. Is it your feeling that um, we are sort of, obviously the, the statistics you gave at the start of, um, of this conversation were um, not particularly encouraging, but is it your feeling that we are moving in the right direction um, or are we kind of at a standstill with, with this issue? Well, Hmm. I, I guess I have two answers to that. One is that we are moving. Um, I think that there are a number of initiatives going on right now that have the potential for making real change. And I hope that they all work. You know, the, the Reflecting Realities report that uh, CLPE did last year is going to be repeated at least for the next three years. Mm -hmm. So hopefully as publishers see that, you know, there is a value in producing literature for a diverse world, they will produce more. So that that is the goal. I mean, the, the model for that was the U.S. Uh, um, publishing uh, statistics which come out every year and at the beginning of those statistics the amount of children's books being published about African Americans and by African Americans was dismal mm -hmm. and now it's not great but it's much more than dismal so mm -hmm. you know I mean it's it's not going to change the world overnight but it's small steps uh, another thing that is happening is that the um, Chartered Institute for Library and Information Professionals is 
undergoing a diversity review of the Carnegie and the Kate Greenaway. That's a project that, you know, I've been uh, working with them on. Uh, Those are Children's where, Book Awards. Yes, right, yeah. exactly, sorry. Um, That's all right. Where, <laughs> where they're... They're looking at the criteria and how the, those criteria mm. might um, favor certain books over others, mm. favor mm. books written in a certain style, favor books written, um, you know, about certain subjects. Mm. And, you know, the, the aim of that um, study is to try to change the criteria to open up those awards, not so that every year a uh, new form of diversity will win those awards, but so that they will be part of the consideration that diversity is part of the consideration when those awards are being judged. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that I think will help. I think that those kinds of things where you're looking at, on the one hand, statistics, but on the other hand, um, also how you can change the system are things that the national curriculum will eventually have to do if they are going to value all of those children who are in their schools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just finally, um, this uh, podcast is going to be uh, coming out just before uh, World Book Day. I'm not sure if that's a particularly big event in um, the US, but in the UK, it's something that um, schools, uh, you know, it's really widespread. Yes, I'm always sorry not to be there so that I, <laughs> I can't get my one pound book. So. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, do you think that uh, days like, like that or events like like these are um, a really good opportunity for um, schools to um, target this issue a bit and, and sort of, um, you know, focus perhaps a little bit on the issue of diversity in literature, um, obviously without sort of, you know, not, not wanting to um, go into a kind of tokenism type area. But, um, you know, do you think this is a good opportunity for schools to sort of make the most of? I think it can be, but I think that it has also um, been problematic at times. Um, you know, I think that it is tricky uh, for World Book Day um, to provide books that meet every need, uh, obviously, um, in those one-pound books. Uh, but, you know, th this year they've got Mallory Blackman um, as part of those books, so that's that's good. Uh, I like that. Uh, that would be my one-pound selection if I were there. Um, but, you know, also a lot of times World Book Day is used as a dress-up day, you know, dress as your favorite character, and that's that's been an issue for a lot of uh, people of color because mm -hmm. if you're going to dress as... Harry Potter, you know, who is a, a popular character to dress up as, you know, do you feel like you can own that character? Mm -hmm. Or are there characters that you could dress up as that other people in your class would recognize? Do you have to explain yourself all the time? Because explaining yourself all the time is another thing that a lot of people of color have to do. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, I mean, even when it 
you know that people are well-intentioned towards you, it is exhausting to have to explain yourself all the time. So, you know, I think that one thing that teachers could do is to um, make that day more um, welcoming to everybody in the classroom. And there are probably lots of ways to do that. you know, I, I'm far removed from uh, the primary school classroom these days. I I, I have taught and I have actually done uh, a similar kind of event. I uh, I dressed up as Frog from the Frog and Toad stories by Lobo, <laughs> so I I uh, defied it in there. You've done that, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, but. The, it might be about, you know, bringing in your favorite book rather than dressing up as your favorite character. It might be about, you know, doing something else that allows um, children to see, you know, different folk tales around the, the world, different uh, folk tales that belong now to the British um, society. Because I think Anansi tales now are part of British children's literature because the people who are British their ancestors have Anansi as one of their uh, heroes, folktale heroes. So I think there are ways to make it a positive experience, and I hope that everybody does. Thanks very much for speaking to me today, Karen. It was really interesting. It was uh, delightful to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks very much.